When I moved away to college in New York, my mother wanted me to make the commitment to call home at least once a week. And at first, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem, once a week, whatever, five minutes. Uh, but soon, I realized something about myself. It was the first time I'd ever had a cell phone. I hate talking on the phone. Not as much with my mom, but seriously, with every single person I meet, including my wife, who I love very much, I hate talking on the phone. Everything about phone conversation is the absolute worst. The constant start-stop, are you talking, am I talking, did I interrupt you? The inability to develop any sort of rhythm of conversation. The potential for bad reception. I know all of you are probably sick of me being like, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet sometime. Um, really, I just I like meeting in person um, because I think it's more personable, but it's also because I hate talking on the phone. So nothing against my mom, but I just didn't want to do that. And thus, the planned conversations that we had would go by the wayside until we were only talking about two or three times a month. But, in all honesty, the stagnancy of checking in didn't just happen due to my dislike for phone conversation. For it was during that time that I was trying to find myself, as many people do while away at college or having moved out of home for the first time. I would argue that 18 is a bad age to be considered an adult, but we all mature at our own respective paces. And after all, there has to be some sort of number, no matter how arbitrary, that says, okay, you're old enough to smoke cigarettes. It is awkward to shed the trappings of our youth and to grow into another person. It's just about impossible to do so with any kind of grace. And as we do it, we begin the act of questioning everything that we have held so near and dear. Now, as a Christian, I have to confess that I'm a little, just a little jealous, just a little, of a tradition practiced by our friends in the Baha'i faith. Baha'i is a religion that originated out of Islam, but grew into something far greater. It is monotheistic like our own, but it holds that God has revealed God's self to different people at different times in human history. So not just Abraham and Moses and Jesus, but also Muhammad and the Buddha and, and other wise prophets. Any of you ever watched the TV show The Office? Have you ever seen The Office? Okay, so Dwight, Rain Wilson, the actor who plays Dwight, he's a practicing Baha'i. And I read an interview with him where he talked about stepping away from his faith in, the tw in his 20s in large part because one of the central tenets of the Baha'i is that every spiritual seeker must undertake their own investigation into the truth. So he left to do his own, going back to the very basics, even questioning the existence of God. And eventually, his faith and reasoning brought him back to what he practiced. Now again, I do not subscribe to the beliefs of the Baha'i, but I think we can all learn something from that idea of spiritual investigation. Many of you, I've heard your stories, stepped away from the Christian faith of your respective childhoods for whatever reason when you became adults. Now, as for me, I didn't step away from it so much as I turned down the volume of its importance. I had to grow up and I had to put an end to childish things, and too often I associated my religion with my childhood. While Jesus does indeed tell us to suffer the little children unto him, I worry that I, if I left Bailey or Mia or Ryan in charge of the church, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. I mean, they're fantastic kids. If 
fantastic, Bailey, but maybe it won't be. I, they could probably do better than I could. Who knows? But we all need to grow. And part of growing is questioning things. And part of growing, frankly, is making mistakes. We were commanded in seminary by the great Dr. Frederick Borsch to not create simple narratives for Jesus' parables. While historically we have looked at the prodigal son story as a lost sinner slash jealous brother slash forgiving God parable, I agree with the good doctor that there is more to the simple way that we try and understand things. So I will start with this. The prodigal son gets a bad reputation. I do not agree with his actions at all. But I think like you and me, he is trying to figure out how to grow up, how to become an adult. And like all of us, he makes mistakes along the way. Yes, there is dissolute living, but I would encourage you to try and find a more comforting adjective than dissolute to describe the inside of a college dorm room or the apartment of a 20-something. And yes, there's a famine which makes his circumstances much more difficult. In those challenging times in our own lives, when we've lost something or everything, that is when we really begin to find ourselves. And you see that in the prodigal son. We cannot buck the conventions of human nature. God has seen it all and God knows who we are. We're only human and a lot of times when we actually do the right thing, it's because in the previous 99 instances we've done the wrong thing. But that is why God is there for us all the time. The reason why the prodigal son story endures is because of the love and faithfulness the father has for his son. It is so graceful in a world that is definitely not. It is forgiving in a world that seeks punishment. It resonates as a testament to the love that we find in God and are called to share with one another. The love that shows us that when we have nothing else, at least we have Christ. And when we deserve the worst, God gives us God's very best. We tend to look at behavior as dualistic, either good or bad. I think the actions of the prodigal son teach us that behavior that is bad can help us grow and be good. The prodigal son had to learn, just as we all had to learn and continue to learn, how the world works. And oftentimes, that learning is a painful process that involves many mistakes. Stepping away from my family and examining my faith were difficult things, as I imagine they might have been for you as well. But I can honestly say that I'm a better person for it. And all of you out there that I know who have examined your faith, who have stepped away, who have said, you know, right now church is not for me, but then one day you walk into Salem, all of you are wonderful people. This parable teaches us not to look at the dead ends of right and wrong, rather to remember that we are on our baptismal journey and we go different steps along the way. But we do not forget who we are or where we are from, we are God's beloved children. And God is there for us always. Sometimes it takes a drastic turn in life, like a famine, like losing money, to bring us home. 
And sometimes it is a simple reminder just to call your mom. I want you to consider the prodigal son's story not as a finite answer, but as a continuous parable in motion. I don't think this would be the last time the prodigal son would screw up, even though he should know better. And knowing that God loves us is not an excuse to do wrong. As Paul wrote about last week, and as Jesus said in the wilderness, we are not to put God to the test. But we are to learn from our mistakes. And we are to learn from our periods of spiritual questioning. And while we learn, we find where the knowledge of God ends and faith begins. The son had faith that his father would at least hire him out to show maybe just a little mercy. But the father gives him something far greater, total and complete forgiveness. So also God will be with you. Do not be afraid, never be afraid to return to God. For if we believe in a God who begins with grace, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, we will know that that God is always there for us, that there is always forgiveness. You will wander on your journey, you will stumble, you will fall, and you will get lost. None of those things can be controlled. But on the way, running to greet you, will always be God. Amen.